When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to The Suitcase and the Strive with award-winning journalist Scott Burnside and former NHL goaltender Mike McKenna, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Hey everybody, Scott Burnside back for another edition of The Suitcase and the Scribe. Of course, as always, Michael McKenna from his closet in St. Louis. And what an outstanding treat today to have Greg McKaig of the New York Rangers joining us. I know you and Mike have tons of history, Greg, so we'll get to that. I've got some St. Thomas questions I want to throw in, but I'll just wait till... You know, we get through uh, all the old old uh, home week with you and Mike. But thanks for taking some time to join us. What a what an interesting part of the season for you and the New York Rangers. So thanks for coming to hang out with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, pleasure to be on here with you guys. Kager, I it's fun coming back full circle with guys that I played with and we have friendship with. And I, what I could really think about your career and the first thing I thought when I had you on is you've had a grind, dude. Like, no way around it to get to the point where you're at in your career to be playing on Broadway. Like, has it been a really long career, it feels like, for a guy who hasn't quite hit 30 years old yet? Like, you've got a lot of experience at this point, man. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, you know exactly how it is. I think it's just, I mean, I think you have to take every day in this league as a privilege. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it is a grind. I mean, it's, it's definitely ebbs and flows throughout a career and a season. And I think um, in my case, I think you just try to take it one day at a time. And uh, you know, it, it's definitely, it's definitely easier to say it than to do it, but at the same time, it's all you can really do. It's Greg. I, I, I'm curious just to, to follow up on that. Is that something you have to, like, do you have to teach yourself? You know, you're, you're drafted by the Leafs and, you know, there's, there's some stops along the way, right? Portland, Florida Panthers, Springfield, Tampa, Pittsburgh. And, yeah. You know, it's, it, there's been, you know, there's there's been lots of stops. And I wonder if you it, you have to teach yourself to not be overwhelmed by that that kind of existence and to be able to to really appreciate every day. And I wonder, you know, how do you get to that point? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I think when you're younger, you probably don't, realize it as much and you know it sometimes you have to sit back and look like you know you are playing hockey for a living right now so but 
you know, I've been fortunate that, you know, I've been able to lean on my parents and friends throughout my career. So it's, you know, I have a great supporting cast and it's, um, you know, I've been, I've been grateful and thankful to, to have them along the way. That's, that's helped me a lot. I'm just looking down the list of teams that you've played for, and I know you're not quite approaching my suitcase status, but you've got a handful of organizations. And I, I always think it's interesting to talk to other players who've been through quite a few of them. And really over the course of your career, which is closing in on a decade now, what you've learned about different organizations, the differences between them, what it's like stepping into a new one and what you've learned in the past from other situations, how that can help you when you eventually do move on to a different organization. Yeah, um, for sure. Like you said, I mean, and I've been fortunate to play in, you know, a lot of great organizations and, you know, there is a lot, there is a lot of difference from, you know, getting drafted by the Leafs and then getting traded to Florida, you know, kind of two opposites of the spectrum there, you know, it's hockey crazy in Toronto and, you know, it's not so much in Florida, but they're both different and both have great qualities. And I think that is nice when you, you do get both ends of the spectrum, you know what it's like. So, I mean, I've, I've been thankful for all my experiences along the way. And like you said, it has been a treat to be able to experience different organizations. What's it, I'm curious, Greg, what's it been like? I talked to Gerard Gallant early in the season and, and I think there was a lot of, okay, you know, what, what, what is this Ranger team going to be about? What, what's it going to look like with Gerard there? And now that we're, you know, we're a month out from the trade deadline, it's a team that's locked into, you know, a battle for top spot in the Metropolitan Division, got a big game against the Washington Capitals coming up on Thursday. It, has it, has the feeling around the team changed, you know, from training camp and the start of the season now that you're into the second half and, you know, I mean, you don't want to take anything for granted, but you know, this is a, this is a playoff team. And I wonder if there's a different vibe around the team now, maybe you know, more urgency or whatever. Yeah, I, th- I think so for sure. I think, um, you know, coming into training camp, we were confident that we were, we were going to be a good team, but until you see the winds coming and, you know, start seeing, you know, the play early, it's, you, you never really know. And, you know, we were lucky enough to get off to to a good start and kind of build our game from there. And I think, you know, there's a lot of guys that are just coming into their their own in the league, and it's it's exciting to see them gain confidence and gain confidence as a team. So it's it's been a good, uh, you know, I guess about half now. So it's been a good good first half, and we're just looking to build on in the second. Yeah. How do you think Gerard Glantz factored into your team? I mean, I obviously, like we played for him in Florida. You did a lot more than yeah. I did, but you know, I've seen him firsthand with the Vegas Golden Knights. What it's like? How much of the team's success in New York has been reflective upon Turk? leading you guys compared to how much the players have brought forth as well. Has it been a combination yeah. of things? Has it been the perfect yeah. timing for this? Yeah, I think it's for sure a combination, but, you know, having Turk's been huge. I think, you know, like he, he's, I think he's been through it, you know, a lot of different teams as well, whether, you know, it was in Florida and, you know, having a great team in Vegas, I think, um, you know, he's, he's a very experienced coach, you know, he's been to the, the cup finals and he's, um, you know, it never seems to panic on the bench and he just instills a lot of confidences in us. And as players, that's, uh, that's huge. Just curious now, uh, Greg, do you have a, do you feel like a New York guy now, right? This is, you've spent some time there and uh, is there, 
How is that different? Because you've you've had some original six experience with other markets. How is how is it different than maybe you imagined it was going to be? And maybe tell us a bit about being like a a Manhattan guy, a New York guy. Yeah. I don't know if I consider myself a Manhattan guy. I'm from a, I'm from a small town back home, but uh, no, it's I, sometimes you got to pinch yourself when you know, you're putting on the, the New York Rangers jersey. I think it's it's one of those franchises that's uh, that's pretty unbelievable to play for. It's first class. They you know they couldn't treat us any better. And uh, no, it is it is awesome to experience the city as well. It's it's you know take a little bit of time to kind of figure your way around, but it's, it's a great place. You know, the atmosphere is awesome and it's a bonus to be able to play MSG, uh, you know, for 41 games a year. It must just be a different feeling to play in that cosmopolitan of a city, hop the train everywhere. I never really had that. I was always in suburban areas. I mean, compared to like Springfield mass, dude, (laughs) we know what that is like, you know what I mean? Like what are your living arrangements like for in New York city? I mean, you write, in the downtown area? Are you outside? Yeah. You're in the train every day. I'm just curious the human element of it. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm, I'm along the West side, so I'm not far from, from MSG. So I can walk if the weather's nice or I can take the subway or Uber. So it is, it is convenient that way, but um, it, it is a crazy city. It definitely is. It's awesome. I've loved every second here. And uh, you know, it, it, you definitely get a little bit more comfortable when you can find your way around for sure. Yeah. I got, I got to know though, what's, what's your favorite Mike McKenna moment then, Greg? What's the, <laughs> and, you know, we, you can speak freely here, but yeah. I'm wondering what's the, what's your best McKenna moment? Damn. I got, I, I, I must have a few. Um, I always used to enjoy Kenner seeing him with his rattlesnake mug in the, in the morning with his coffee going. That was one of my favorites. Um, his name's you know, Henry. You know, I, I will pump his tires here. He does put on a great spread. So whenever there was Super Bowl or Thanksgiving, it was you knew where you were going. So that was always a bonus having Kenner around. Man, you know what? Our favorite moment on the ice together it was yeah, maybe this is selfish, but it, like you were there for the best game I think I ever played. I remember it was in Allentown against the Lehigh yeah. Valley Phantoms, and for dude, sure. I think I I think I stopped like forty five for forty six or something, but I had two assists that game. Yeah, and, that, and I remember the last one, like, take us through it because you, you were an integral part of my second assist. If you remember what happened in that game, you, you'd have to refresh my memory a little bit, but, um, what was it? Was it an empty netter? He's an empty net. Yeah. They dumped it down. And I thought I was going to be able to go for the net, but I put way too much juice on it. And it was just far too parabolic, dude. And you had to pick it up at like the far blue and tap it in for me. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily enough, I got a stick on one, but um, no. Yeah. I do remember that game, but I think that whole year, like that, that must've been one of your better years, Kenner. No, yeah, it was. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think it might've been my best year. Yeah. yeah. And I remember like, like that wasn't the only game you had like 40 plus. Yeah, it was pretty good, man. And you led the way for us. And it, it kind of leads me into my next question about the goaltending that you have currently in New York and Igor Shcherkin mm-hmm. and and the way this guy can handle the puck. I know everybody's watching him and the saves he's making. Mm-hmm. And everybody talks about puck handling goaltenders and how it helps the defense. And Shcherkin just missed the empty net the other day, which was I awesome know. to see. But mm-hmm. for a forward like yourself, yeah. What effect does it have having a goalie that can really move the puck effectively? Man, it's um yeah, it's it's crazy. Like you almost like 
it's like having a third defenseman back there. Like you gotta be, you gotta be ready for anything. He'll, he's not afraid to fire it up and, and get in the play. Like he's, uh, he's, he's something, man. And it, it's, uh, I would, it would be interesting to ask the defenseman that because he's, he's great stopping it, handling it and then moving it quickly. Like he has a lot of confidence with that. So it's, it's a lot of fun to watch him and we're lucky to have him. What's, what's he like in practice? Is he tough to score on? Competitive? Yeah. Yeah, he is. Like he's, he is, I mean, he's definitely more dialed in for games, but he, he works hard in practice, works hard before practice. He's, he really is the real deal. And I think he's only going to get better, but you know, I've, shot on a few bigger goalies like he's not the biggest guy and you, you think like you have him and then next thing you know he just he flashes a little leather gets a stick on something like he really is it really is impressive I, I saw a quote somebody asked him about the Vezina the other day and I think his his answer was not yeah. I don't speak English so but wait a minute I think Vezina is universal <laughs> and he said it in English <laughs> yeah yeah he said yeah he's he's getting he's getting even media savvy now so he's uh no, he's he's an awesome guy in the locker room as well. That's the cool thing is that he's uh, you know goalies are a little different, eh, Kenner? Ah, thanks. Yeah, no, can't no, deny it. He's, uh, <laughs> he's he's great. Like he's fun to joke around with. The guys have a blast with him, and uh, you know it's definitely uh, reassuring when he's uh, between the pipes. Yeah. All right. So, Greg, you mentioned small town, but now St. Tom- St. Thomas, uh, Ontario. Now, is that where you? from St. Thomas proper or suburban St. Thomas? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm from Raiden St. Thomas, which is okay. um, about 20 minutes outside of London, Ontario. Yeah. I still, I still go back there in the summer and everything. Yeah. So I have to ask two questions about St. Thomas. And if I was looking at the McKeg family album, how many pictures of you growing up with the jumbo statue in St. Thomas, <laughs> uh, which is to, it's a tremendous story. And have have you ever been to Tony's Huddle House in St. Thomas? I don't even think it's open anymore, but I've been there. Oh, for, geez, the uh, Jumbo the Elephants uh, pictures, there would be a pile of them. And I think my mom <laughs> still has them. So I, I don't know the exact number there. And no, I haven't. I haven't been there. I, I It must have been, uh, must have been a good spot if you know where it is. Uh, well, it's, I'm I'm a little bit older, so it may have closed down when you were there. But any, anyway, it's a story for another day. And just in case you don't know, Mike, Jumbo was part of the Barnum and Bailey Circus. He came from London, England, and yeah. you know, huge story, but tragic. Was hit yeah. on the train tracks in St. Thomas. It's it's an, it's an incredible story. Very sad, but also it's part of the St. Thomas lore. Correct, Mike? Greg? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, it's. Um... Yeah, it is an interesting story, no doubt. And obviously, uh, St. Thomas was a big uh, railway city back in the day. So, I mean, terrible what happened, but um, no, it is part of the history there for sure. We're getting all the culture here. St. Louis, where I'm from, huge rail city, gateway to the West. Uh, (laughs) I'm wondering, like, Kager, you... You had been a scorer in really in every league, in junior hockey, early pick of the Leafs, and you've scored plenty in the American Hockey League, and you found your touch in the NHL at times too. But like I've noticed how versatile your game can be, and you can grind when you have to. And I'm curious what that's like when you make it to the NHL and you kind of have that realization that oh man, I may I may not ever be a first line guy, but I can have value in this league. And how you carve out that niche, and how you make that happen, and then once you make that happen, what it's like to line up 
with Ryan Reeves on the right side of the ice for, with you for a face-off. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. I think, I mean, I, I don't think there's too many kids that start playing and, you know, are going to be a grinder right away or, you know, a defensive-minded player right away. I think you do have to adapt to your role when you turn pro and, you know, not everyone's going to play on the first line and play on the first power play unit. I think, um, you know, good teams can – you know, make roles for guys. And I think, um, you know, playoff teams have to have, you know, they all, they all can't be skill guys. And I think, um, you know, we have a good mix of that. And to go along with your other question, obviously, uh, you know, Rebo's a blast to have around. He's a great guy to play with. And, you know, I think you can attest to it. He might, uh, he might open up a little more space in the Ford shack when, uh, when you're on his line, for sure. <laughs> you hear those footsteps come and like as a goalie, when you hear that, I remember like the first one I had like that in the NHL was Milan Lucic when he was with yeah. Boston and you yeah. could like hear his skates digging into the ice. Yeah. And I kind of got that same effect when I, I practiced with Vegas, when I was working on the broadcast team a little bit and same thing with Revo, like you can hear him coming, man. Yeah. But he, he's, he's just, and, and he can move too. Like when he gets gold, he can really move and. I don't, did you ever see his, his feet are just huge too? Like everything about him is big. Like he's, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's just a, he's just a big dude. We were looking at we were looking at his skate the other day. I'm like, oh my god, these things are huge. They're water skis. When he plants it right in front of you, you, you can't move them. Like that's no. why he even played net front on PP occasionally. Yeah, yeah, exactly for sure. <laughs> well, and I'm wondering about that, Greg. Are there? You know, as you've, you've, you know, as your career has gone along, like, did you learn that from someone? Was there someone that, you know, became a mentor to you say, okay, let's, you know, in terms of carving out a space, here's what you have to do, or here's the best way to approach it or to work on it. Like, do you, is there someone like that who, who maybe helped you come to a, you know, some clarity on how you were going to stay in the NHL? Um. I mean, I don't know if necessarily there was, I mean, a lot of the player development uh, people that I've had in the past when, you know, they've always talked about finding a role and, you know, just being able to get there. And I think, you know, it's, I think I learned it along the way where, you know, like I said before, not everyone's going to, you know, is going to play in the NHL and going to be a scorer there. I think there's different roles that can add value to a team. And I've always wanted just to play in the NHL. I mean, it's, it's, it's such a privilege, like I said, and it's, um, you know, every kid's dream when they, when they play hockey growing up to play in the NHL. And I think, you know, you do have to accept different roles and, and, uh, and try to add value to a team. And, you know, along the way it's, you know, it may be PKing and things like that. So I've just, I've just tried to be as versatile as I can and, and try to try to play up and down the lineup. Where do you think you've seen the most growth in your team this year? And, and what are maybe those last couple steps that the Rangers need to tape, take before playoffs heading into it this year? Because it seems like your team is firmly in the hunt in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, I think, um, you know, maybe in the past or, you know, maybe early on, we might have been a little bit more of a run and gun and, and kind of opened it up and got into a bit of a track track meet with some teams. And I think we've realized and the coaching staff has stressed that I'm not sure that can work in the long run. And I think, you know, the last 30 or 35 games, we've really, 
buckled down in the D zone and playing a little more structured game. And I think, um, you know, everyone seems to be more in sync and on the same page with that. So it's the same time we're still trying to build our game and we're not where we want to be yet. So it's, it's a work in progress, but uh, you know, I think we feel like we're heading in the right direction. I know when I, when I talked to Gerard early in the, in the season, I mean, we, we talk about how young that team is and, you know, some nights on the, you know, depending on who's in there, that blue line is, it's incredible how many young guys are there and all up and down the lineup. Do you, like at, at you're 29, which is not old, but do you sometimes look around and go, holy cow, I, you know, I'm like four or five years older than you know the average age on this yeah. team. And I wonder if, if that maybe is factored into your role with the Rangers because you, you know, you have tons of experience compared to a lot of, of the players on that team. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty crazy from, uh, you know, first being a rookie and then seeing how young we are now. It's, you know, the league seems like it's been heading in that direction the last few years. But, yeah, it's it's crazy to see these young guys and, and the way they contribute at such an early age as well. I mean, it's it's pretty cool to watch the development here. And and in saying that, we do have some some really good older veterans like Revo, like Crides, you know, troops and, and guys of that nature. So it's, it's a really good mix. I think we have here. I was wondering about that. You guys don't have a captain. You've got a lot of assistants. Yeah. You know, what's, what's that dynamic like in the room? Is there any true leader within, or is it truly by committee there right now? Um. Yeah, as of, I mean, we do have a very good leadership crew. I know we don't have one one guy right now, but I think it's exactly what you said. It's by committee, and those guys do a great job. And, you know, even guys without letters chip in, and it's, um, you know, it's, like I said, it's just a really good mix we have right now. Yeah. Um, I, I always uh, have the last word. It's sort of my thing. But in this case, I'm going to defer to Mike, but – before we let you go, Greg, thanks so much for coming to hang out uh, with us. And if Mike has parting thoughts or comments or well wishes or whatever, I'll leave it with him. But thank you so much for taking the time with us today. Well, yeah, thanks a lot, Scott. You're welcome. I, I, man, I just, I'm just so thankful that we've remained friends ever since the first couple of times on the ice. Cause I know I hit you with a diving poke check, like maybe the first practice ever. And that's a devastating yes. moment for, you know, potentially a friendship and teammates. And you stuck with me, Kager. Well, and I just, I want you to know how much I appreciate that. I, I think I was on the, the no fly zone for, for a couple of <laughs> practices, Kenner. I know a few other guys are on there as well. So <laughs> no high shots, Scotty. That's how it worked. Well, thanks, Kager. This has been fantastic. Yeah. Thanks for giving us some insight into your career, into the Rangers, yep. and wishing you the best of luck this season. You guys are looking good, man. Good luck yeah. the rest of the way. Yeah, thanks a lot, fellas. Really appreciate it. Yeah, it's good stuff. Thanks very much, Greg. Yeah, thanks, guys. Like that was so much fun, and I, I'm I'm yeah. so pleased that you uh, you reached out and set that up. That was that's a ton of fun, and I, we learned in between Greg leaving and coming back. It's your daughter's birthday, so it is the big day of celebration in the McKenna household. So what's it on is. the and- what's on the bill of fare for birthday night? Hot dogs. <laughs> she wanted hot dogs. Super. My, my six-year-old, super bougie. She just wants hot dogs, you know, and Fritos for her birthday dinner. And, you know, actually, we're probably going to take her uh, to the Wild Bird Sanctuary in St. Louis, which is uh, a completely donation-based facility that rehabs wild birds. Some they keep there that they can't retain to the wild. She loves it. And um, 
best part it's cheap i like that uh but yeah we're, we're gonna go have some fun with her she'll have a party with her friends later on but that interview with kegger was great because you know scotty like the the guys that have really had to grind and earn it and have been a lot of places i think he's on his seventh nhl team i want to say i mean he's c- collected some jerseys like i have you have so much perspective from those types of players and so much appreciation for what they have and listening to him speak about how he has found his niche and how he can, you know, find solace and not be in the scorer, you know, and find happiness in being a, a penalty killer, a fourth line, a third line. You've run into a lot of these people over your career, Scott, that you learn a lot from them, right? Like to me, they're the ones that can give you a lot from an interview because they have seen a lot. They are wise. Well, it's not, and it's, I mean, sure, selfishly for, you know, guys like you and me and people in the media. The, yeah, of, of course, those guys are, you know, those are, I mean, it's who we gravitate to, in, you know, in normal times. I use that term, normal times when you can go in a locker room and sit down and mm-hmm. have a chat with someone. You're right. Those are the guy. You know, it's it is. It's the third, fourth guy. It's the six, seven D. It's the backup goalie because they see everything and they see it in a way that that is different from the way that Sidney mm-hmm. Crosby sees the game or Temi Panarin or whatever. And I, I just think it's it. I think it's important. It's important to hear from those people because, um, you know, that it's. that it, that it is a big picture, right? It's a jigsaw puzzle and it all has to come together. And, you know, you know, whether Greg fulfills this role or not, but no team wins a Stanley cup without having those critical pieces throughout the lineup. And, you know, we're going to talk about it probably a hundred times between now and March 21st, but you think about Pat Maroon in Tampa the last couple of years, or you think about Blake Coleman or Barkley Goodrow, think about, um, Zach Bogosian, who Bogosian, was huge by piece. Buffalo, Luke Shen, who you know had bounced back and forth from the HL to the NHL, but those guys play meaningful moments along the road to a Stanley Cup, and and maybe Greg Zach guy who will play a meaningful moment for a New York Ranger team that has high high aspirations as they mm-hmm. should. Yeah, and I remember when he was with Carolina, listening to Rod Brindamore rave about the way Greg McKay had played. And that's a very Rod Brindamore thing because he notices throughout the lineup what the importance is, who's bringing it, who's got the the heart of that team beyond the obvious stuff. Yeah. You know, and players that have really had to earn things in their career, they have a real appreciation and they have a wider outlook for it. And no greater person to talk about would be Marty St. Louis. Is yeah. that not a perfect fit there? Yeah. Because What a great you, segue by you. Thank you. I've been thinking about it for a bit, but like Marty St. Louis, small guy, played at Vermont, you know, Quebecois, U.S. college, an afterthought in the NHL. You know, Calgary doesn't really give him a chance. He gets to move on. He always had to prove people wrong. He comes into Montreal as the head coach after being a Pee Wee Quebec bench boss. And talk about skepticism. And of course, the first couple games didn't go well. There's there's not a lot of talent really depth wise in Montreal. And yes, pieces have gone out the door, Tyler Toffoli, and there'll be more headed out as well. But guess what? Montreal's now won three games in a row. And Cole Caulfield has suddenly scored five goals in his last, I think, five game, five, six games, something like that. And he looks rejuvenated and energized. And you just think about 
the effect that it must have for someone like Cole Caulfield when he looks into the locker room and sees a head coach that he can see a lot of himself in, a smaller player that's had to prove people wrong. And he knows that he's got that coach in his back behind him, giving him support. Like he wants him to succeed. I think that's very important, Scott. And I don't have any pretension. I don't, I'm going to ask you that. I mean, I don't think Montreal is going to make any headway. I don't think you may either, but do you get the sense that Marty St. Louis is not just doing this to test the waters that there's really more to this? I think it's absolutely fair. And I know, you know what I mean? Like to me, and again, I have stolen this. I'll steal it from Pierre Lebrun who, who tweeted it, but I believe it to be true that it's not so much a question. Do the Canadians want Marty St. Louis to come back next year and be the head coach? My guess is that like, and as Pierre had alluded to, and I agree with it, that this will be up to Marty St. Louis, that the job will be his if he wants it. And I think he's perfectly suited for it. I, I, I love how, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be, you know, according to Hoyle, right? You don't have to have coached here and here and here, climbed the ladder. You know, he's, he coached his boys and that's what he wanted to do. And his boys played at a very high level. And now he's gone. He's now an NHL head coach. And you know what? I think he's suited for that job. And maybe he's perfectly suited for the job in Montreal because there's so much work to do. It's funny. I went, you mentioned Marty and I, so I went back to a piece I wrote for ESPN during his might've been the heart trophy year, but it was, I found a quote and he, cause we were talking about that journey when he first went to Tampa, even though he was, there was still debate where they're going to pay him the league minimum. Rick Dudley was there, Jay Feaster. And I, and I know we've had this conversation over the years, like they had serious debate. Oh, I don't know. It looks, even though it's league minimum, I don't know. I don't know if we should spend that money on Marty St. Louis. Well, of course, you know, he became an iconic player there and yep. Hartfield, all those things. And I remember in the story, he, he, he jokingly said, I wonder if I'm tall enough to play in the NHL now. And I love that bite about, he's always had that bite about him. And I, mm-hmm. I think he brings that. And I think you're alluding to this. He brings that to the coaching job, which I think is important. And I, I think he's going to be, I think it's great. Like what's so I'll ask you do, when you, when you saw he was going to take over, you were like, like, is that a great idea? Or is, is this just another, you know, placekeeper until they actually find a real coach? What do you think when you knew he was going to do that job? Well, the initial reaction was simple as what really? And I think everybody did that. And I needed, I needed time to let it sink in a little bit and assess the entire situation and realize this team's not going anywhere this year. They don't need to commit to a coach long-term, a big name coach, four or $5 million to come in and fix a team that needs a lot of help with the roster. They don't need that. And, and it's so it, it kind of changed my mindset looking at it of thinking, what do they need right now as opposed to who do they need? You know, what do they need? They need somebody that can hold these guys accountable, but also at the same time, pump them up a bit here, man. Like, let them have fun. Let them be creative. Let them snap the puck all around the offensive zone like they've done the last couple games with Caulfield, with Caulfield and Suzuki and Anderson together looking amazing. Um, no, it's going to be tough there. It will. Yeah. But if you're trying to grow a team, if you're trying to build a culture, 
You know, they just brought in Vinny LeCavalier, one of Marty's, you know, and well, our, my, we were all teammates in Tampa, you know, me not for very long with those two legends. I'm, I'm an asterisk to what yeah, happened there, never. but I got to see it firsthand. Sure. These are people that you want high up in your organization because they're quality people, they're quality hockey people, and they are driven people yeah. and they don't have to do this. Okay. And that's a powerful thing, Scott, when you don't have to do something, when you're doing it because you love it and you want it, that's a different dynamic than if all you can do is be a coach. And I like that. And I think that hunger is going to carry Marty St. Louis. Yeah. All right. So let me ask you about the opposite side of that coin. Then as you and I are taping this, they're coming off their third straight victory and what a victory it was a, a beat down of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Not a not a great night for Peter Mrazek in no. the goal, and Jake Muzzin gets hurt. Now it's been an up and down year for Jake Muzzin on the back end. But you know, as we were talking about with Greg, and we, we talk about the construct of teams that are legitimate Stanley Cup contenders, and what does that look like, and what happens between now and March twenty first and the trade deadline, I, I would think that there's there's a little bit of concern surrounding the Leafs because this is a team that has. I mean, literally, since before the 0405 lockout, has never been able to find a way to win a playoff round. And mm-hmm. they look to me like a team. It's hard for me to imagine this team as they are constituted today, and especially if Jake Muzzin's out for any length of time. Um, could they beat Florida in a seven-game series? Could they beat Tampa in a seven-game series? Could they beat Carolina in a seven-game series? And honestly, I, I, I don't know that I just don't see that that could happen. Do you think I'm overstating it or? No, I think you're spot on. Yeah. The Toronto Maple Leafs, when Jake Muzzin was out or not at hundred percent, weren't the same. Yeah. And the games that Hall was missing, both of them, yeah. they were a disaster. Yeah. Okay. And, and I don't say this lightly because the Leafs are mega talented. And when yeah, they have a full yeah. lineup, they can play, but it shows you that when you're missing one piece, it can change all of that. And I know Labushkin, like they've, they've made a deal to bring in a D from Arizona. That's the, he's not the answer. Okay. Like, I don't think that Lilligren, Dermot, Sandine can defend at the level in front of the net that the Leafs need on some of these pairings to play deeply in the playoffs. And to me, I think it just opens that forbidden door with the Montreal Canadians to say, Ben Chirac, come on down. (laughs) You know, like they need somebody that can shut down in front of the net, somebody that can play hard minutes Mm -hmm. He can do that. He's been to a cup final before. And I know I'm focusing on one player here and there's yeah. plenty more available. They need help. I Mrazic, man, it's a question mark. Like if everything is hung on Jack Campbell, because they, the Leafs just picked up Carter Hutton as, as depth. So here's your, here's your goalies for the Leafs for the rest of the season. Jack Campbell, Peter Mrazic, Carter Hutton, Joseph Wool. Yeah. If you're at the start of the year and those are your four, are you comfortable? And the way Campbell's played in, in spurts this year, yes. Yeah. But he's going to have to be his absolute best come playoff time, the way things are going now. So I have real question marks in Toronto. And that's why I like the Flames so much more is because they have the goaltending, they have the defense, they have a coach who can lock it down, and they're scoring like the Globetrotters. Like, dude, I mean, Goudreau, Lindholm, and Kachuk – I mean, Johnny Gaudreau could he could sneak his way into the heart conversation by the end of this year. Yeah, no question. Yeah, because nobody expected that. Yeah, and guess what? Who's due a big contract, Scott? 
Oh, that might be Johnny hockey. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) If I went back to it, I think I might've had him at the top of my, you know, trade list or, you know, how do the flames, you know, I mean, the flames, you know, they're, they're the poster boys for underachieving, right. The last four or five years. And, and Johnny Gaudreau has not, his playoff numbers and performances have not been, you know, what you want from an elite leader on your team, but maybe this is just the year. I mean, I've, the thing I find about Calgary, tell me if you, if you think I'm off base here though, they're a team that seems to, even though I think what they won 10 in a row now. And I think they Mm -hmm. swept those seven game homestand. It's they're in, they are the real deal, but they're so under the radar. And there's like, I mean, we know we're tied very closely to Oiler nation. And we know the fanaticism of Edmonton fans and man, they eat their own in Edmonton. That's just, it is (laughs) Vancouver, Vancouver, very similar, right? Vancouver, very you know crazy toronto's montreal we know that calgary is kind of like uh, i said i talked to somebody today about this and he, he was like oh yeah if they lose a couple of games in a row they're like okay let's go skiing and that that's the <laughs> fan reaction right like there's lake louise is right next door <laughs> yeah you, so if you're you're not you know the fan base isn't living and dying every day with the flames and 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 maybe the miracle or the red mile will come back come playoff time. Maybe there will be that buzz, but to me, I, I am going to get to a question. I swear. Do you feel like they're a team that's under the radar, even though right now outside of Colorado, they're the, they're, I think it's fair to say they're the best team in the Western conference. I don't think, I don't think the Calgary is any longer. I think people have clued into them. I think that the team that's still kind of under the radar, but it's Minnesota. That's the team I think is still people are sleeping on a little bit. Uh, And I think Minnesota is going to still make some moves in advance of the deadline here. I'm, I'm not sold that frankly, even like I'm not sure that they want to go into playoffs with their goaltending. That's one thing I'm not sure about in Minnesota, but Calgary, I think is, has ridden that wave under the radar because everybody just assumed Vegas was going to win the Pacific. It was a foregone conclusion. Vegas will win the Pacific. Well, man, there's so many question marks with Vegas right now. I don't know where they end up. But Calgary is real. And you add to Foley into that mix, that lineup is deep. And yep. I, I don't care if Lucic makes six million bucks. That's over his production. But man, he's still effective to me. Even in that fourth line role. You know, I I think that that team is probably right at the edge. They probably are going to look for another defenseman. I wouldn't be surprised if they got one more of those. I think Peter they could. Dano, by the way, just saying. Yeah, it'd be interesting if it's returned. I don't know if I believe it'll happen. Creation there. Yeah, we'll see. But that, but that, especially with Markstrom and that, yeah, and Sutter coaching. There's a lot to like about that club. I think they can make waves. I really do. I've been scared of them all season long because of how they, how the Sutter effect works defensively and towards playoffs. Yeah. Okay. So. Let's just see. I, I called up standings here. So right now they've got a four-point bulge over Vegas, two games in hand. All right. I, so let's – they're probably going to win the Pacific, but come on. Wouldn't it be fun? A little Battle of Alberta in the first round, a little Edmonton-Calgary oh. if they slide into that 2-3 hole. Oh, man, oh. I can't imagine what that province would be like. Wait, see, I, see that, and I, I've done that drive. You can do that drive. You could go out there and cover that series and just drive back and forth. 
Wouldn't cost you. And you'd see the cars with all the flags and the different allegiances and people cutting each other off on the road. And yeah. Oh, just, just bitter bit. Well, I guess you guys are Canadian. So you'd probably just go by and like sneer at one another. And if this was like Texas or Florida, we'd have people driving each other into the ditch. I'm sure. I think you, you might have a very short, angry horn honk and that would be it. <laughs> um, I want to ask you about a couple other teams, but before we get to that point, as always, we'll take a pause here to remind our listeners and viewers, if you're watching this, that DoorDash is the proud sponsor of the Nation Network of Podcasts, restaurants, and more delivered right to your door. Can you get a hot dog delivered? I bet you can. Oh, yeah. Hot dog. You know, this week we had sushi. Nice. Another favorite. The kids will just, the kids will smash California rolls. I'm trying to get them to branch out, <laughs> but I have to order like three of those to feed these kids. They just love them at this point, Scott. So DoorDash has taken good care of us in this household. It's almost, it's turned into almost once a week for us. And we've got that rotating cast. I'm sure if you want a hot dog, you can get it. I just, I just hope that there are some DoorDash certificates that show up in your mail every once in a while. I'm just, I'm just throwing that out there. So anyway. you deserve it. I know. Um, all right. So you mentioned to me uh, one of the teams and it's a team where you and I met. Uh, if there's a team that is one of the most fascinating to see how they behave and what happens between now and March 21st, it, it might be the Dallas stars because mm-hmm. it's, I don't know. Coming, I think they're coming off a of loss to Arizona and you're like, okay, well that can't, that's not good. But Lots of nights recently, and Jake Ottinger has, I think he was the third star of the week, and he's the real deal. You know, maybe ahead of schedule, maybe, you know, at the start of the season when they had four NHL goalies on the ice at times, you wondered where Jake Ottinger fit in all this, but Mm -hmm. where he fits is he's the number one guy, and if they're going to make the playoffs, it's going to be because of Jake Ottinger. But they also, you know, Jim Neal, the GM, has – a lot of balls in the air. He's got Joe Pavelski on an expiring contract. He's got John Klingberg, who we've talked about lots here. What do you, you know, what's your gut tell you? Buyer, seller? Are they a playoff team? Are they not? They're the most tr- intriguing team in the NHL. Yeah. Because if uh, we've seen the Stars go on runs this year, I think they had an eight game winning streak at one point, but then they'll go lose seven. Like they, they've been all over the map. And I still think they have a chance. Yeah. Like I can't count them out. Like I, I like them in Winnipeg, like Winnipeg, I don't think has a chance really, but yeah. Dallas, I still could see a way that they make it in. I just don't think that they're built to really contend deep. And I, here's the thing. I know that nobody wants to hear that. The owner's never going to want to hear that. If we make playoffs, we have to win the whole thing, yeah. but you got to look out for the, the greater good of your franchise. If you're Jim Nill here. And he's got some tough decisions to make. I know that they're likely going to wait until closer to the deadline to see if they're a team that's going to buy or sell. I'd be afraid if you do that, you're not going to do anything yet again. And they have all their draft picks in 2022. They have all their draft picks in 2023. But Dallas has three first-round picks right now in the American Hockey League that none of them really look like sure bets. Okay? Tufty, Delandria, like – they may make it, they may be pieces, but they don't know. They need to restock their cupboards is what I'm getting at here, Scott. And I think that the way Jake Ottinger's played had, I mean, he, he is on the season 15 and six. Yeah. And his partner, Braden Holpe, he's nine, 10 and one. And Ottinger's numbers just keep going. Like he just keeps getting better and better. He knocked off the Colorado avalanche 40 something, say 46 saves against that club. 
Yeah. Shuts out his shuts out his boyhood idol Mark Andre Fleury in Chicago, stops all five in a shootout, and gets a stick from his idol signed to him in one night. Tell me Ottinger's not riding the wave right now. And that's my point. Brayton Holpe, I think, is expendable. Yeah. I think if you're Jim Nill and you've got Anton Hudobin stashed away, I think you you have to look to move Holpe given the number of teams out there that are looking for that piece of the puzzle. I think you move him. And I think that you have to listen no matter where you are in the standings on Klingberg. Yeah. Because he's um, that would be a mega haul for a guaranteed first round pick. Yep. Probably whatever else you want to go along with that. I, that'd be hard to pass up because Klingberg's gone at the end of this year, no matter what, in my eyes. Yeah. I can't see him returning. So you'd have to listen to that. The one part that I think, and like Alexander Radulov, if you can find somebody to take him, he's got a 15 trade, no, no 15 team, no trade list, but you move him out. The one person I think that shouldn't be traded is Pavelski. I think you've got to find a way to resign him. I know he likes it there. He'd probably like to stay. I'd take that chip off the board because I love that fit. I love how he plays with Hinson Robertson. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. There are three points out with the game in hand of the second wild card spot. And I, I'm with you. Like, are they, there's too much yin and yang to their game to, to really be a contender, I think. But here's the thing for me. They're one of those teams that, you know, two years ago, they're in a Stanley cup final. If they get in the playoffs, let's say you're the second wild card team. So you play Colorado in the first round. I, I don't know. I think they give Colorado all they can handle, you know, assuming that you're not trading Klingberg, assuming you're not trading Pavelski. And, and I don't know, maybe you add it's, it is, it's so hard for a team to listen. The stars, like a lot of teams have been through, uh, you know, the COVID, the, the COVID seasons have been very difficult for the Dallas stars. It's difficult for Tom Gallardo, the owner. It's, it's, he's in the inner, he's in the hospitality business. It's been hard and no one wants to win more than Tom Gallardi. He's absolutely a great owner. He wants to win. So yep. I don't know. And man, it's, it's tough. And I know I saw Jim Neal, you know, the players will dictate what happens, but I don't know, man. You, it's it's going to be so fluid in the West. You're not yeah. going to, you won't know unless you lose eight in a row. You're not going to know by March 21st. And it, yeah. then it becomes, are you taking a leap of faith? The year that I was there and the year I met you, you know, Jim Neal didn't do anything at the trade deadline. I know that that was something that didn't sit well with Ken Hitchcock, who was the coach. And ultimately they, you know, Ben Bishop got hurt and they, and they missed the playoffs. So, you know, if you make a move, does it change it? It's a mugs game, but you gotta, you gotta decide and you gotta make some hard decisions when you won't probably know really whether you're a legitimate playoff team or not. It's hard. Yeah, I agree. And that's where I think everything's, it makes it difficult, but I think at some point you just have to make a decision and go with it. And I'm always reminded about when the blues traded Paul Stastny, at towards right in advance of the deadline. Yep. I believe, I believe that was 2018. I want to say, and right. they moved him to the Winnipeg jets and yeah. Doug Armstrong said, this is the right decision for our team, even though they were moving a piece out at that time. And to me, that's kind of like the Klingberg deal. If there were one to be made to me, if it's yep. worth it. So I I'd like to see Jim Nill make some swings here, you know, either way. Yeah. Um, and it's hard. Cause I mean, you can't, think of a more respected GM around the league. He always wants to do what's right by the player. And it's going to be a tough one for him, I think, this year to make those decisions. 
So, Scott, I got one for you because today is the anniversary of the Miracle on Ice. It was 42 years ago in Lake Placid, New York. The U.S. men's Olympic hockey team shocked the world by beating the USSR. Yep. And it wasn't the finals. People forget that. Uh, it, It was leading up to it. But, you know, I was born in 1983. I wasn't alive for the 1980 Olympics. Yep. But it lives in lore in the U.S. It lives in stories passed down and in TV clips and sound bites and, you know, Mike Arruzzioni. And yeah. I think for me, it's, it's a very American thing. But I'm curious for you as a Canadian living in Canada at the time, I believe. Yeah. How did it resonate back then? Was it big in the world or was it truly an American phenomenon? No, I, I think it had, well, I was 16. So that tells you how old I am. So 1980. Yeah. 16, 16. I didn't ask you to give that away, but I, here I we mind. are. I'm not ashamed of it. It is what it is. <laughs> um, so I would, yeah, 16, I would, you know, approaching my 17th uh, birthday. So it was in uh, grade 12 at Essex district high school and huge hockey fan. I was playing some, you know, playing hockey for the Essex, uh, whatever we were, the Essex town team. Um, but I'll tell you, you know, it, it, it is interesting when you ask it and you, and you, you think about it, you know, at that point, you're still 18 years away from the first time NHL players play uh, in the Olympics in 98. So it's not even a, it's never a factor. If I'm not mistaken, the game against the Russians was on tape delay. Didn't, air live on, I want to say ABC, um, did not air live. People were, people, and pe- no one expected them to win. So people were, you know, like it was halfway through the game. People were like, wait a minute, something may be happening there. And you, know, I've talked to reporters who covered it and you, 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 you sort of, it, it, it really did sort of fly under the radar and was totally unexpected. And of course, without social media, without any kind of buildup to it, I think it really is something that once it happened that, you know, the, the mystique of it has happened over a period of time. And it's, it's, I don't know if there's a line to draw to it, but I like, uh, how do you have, what's your historical knowledge of the 72 summit series, right? The, you know, it was, they Paul were Henderson, players, you know, there's Canadian yeah. players playing the Russians, best players, the first, the first real, it's not best on best because it was only Canadians, but it was Canada, the best Canadian NHL players, except Bobby Orr and Bobby Hall, um, playing the best Russian players, epic eight game series. Why you picked eight? Don't know. Well, four games in <laughs> Russia, four games in Canada. Um, and of course, Paul Henderson scoring the series deciding goal, which is for Canadians. It, it, it's their miracle on ice moment. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it resonates for American, unless you're a diehard hockey fan. Like, I, do you have a, 72 summit series. Does that mean anything? Well, only to me because I know who Paul Henderson was, but not to your general hockey fan in the U S but you know, miracle on ice, I think resonated with everybody in our country because you know, we're in a cold war with Russia, man, like, you know, with the USSR and this was high tension times where we needed a victory, you know? And, And I, I can't remember all the international events that had led up to it, but there was a lot going on between yep. the two. And it was an, it was an important 
win on the ice and win culturally for the U.S. that mattered. And of course, going on to win the the tournament afterwards, it took the world by storm. But I think for younger generations, just having the movie made and the, the amazing job that Kurt Russell, I believe, did playing yep. portraying Herb Brooks. Yep. I mean, that was a labor of love for Kurt Russell. He nailed that role. It's let that moment live on now. Yeah. Forever for younger generations. Yeah. And and it was done really well and that mattered. Yeah. So I, I think it's it's got staying power that oddly enough, one of the seminal moments in US sports history was ice hockey. And who would have ever guessed, Scott? Because at that time in 1980, it was New York State, Minnesota, a little bit in Detroit, in Michigan. And that yeah. was about it. And look how much the game has changed ever since then. Yeah. No, I'm, t- I'm totally with you. And uh, you know, a nod to age of Carl, Mal- uh, Carl Malden, right? I think played in the original movie version. He was her mm-hmm. Brooks Streets of San Francisco guy. So there yeah. you go. And I, I went when Herb Brooks was into the Hockey Hall of Fame. I remember talking to his son um, for a profile and you know, he, talking about the movie script and how it came together. And, and it was it, I mean, it, you're right. It's it's part of the fabric of the game for many, many people. And that is, you know, it's I mean, I can't imagine a, a greater legacy. And here we are. What? Forty two mm-hmm. years. So. Amazing. A yeah. couple of good, couple of good anniversaries lately. I mean, David Ayers was two years ago, the e-bug for the Carolina Hurricanes, who was a Zamboni driver in the greater Toronto area, goes in and wins a game for the Hurricanes, becomes a hockey legend. What are your, what are your memories of that evening? Well, I got to tell you, I remember distinctly, in fact, I mentioned it to my wife earlier today because we were watching the game and our son was at uh, prep school. And so we were texting with him and, but I remember watching and seeing the eventual, like you can start to see the dominoes fall and, uh, and the fact, you know, it, the fact that it happens and you're thinking, how, how can this be And getting this is happening on, Duke, and David comes out and wearing the blue pants to yes. um, start with. And he's holding, he's wearing Garrett Sparks, old gear, I think. <laughs> But it's not, but again, you talk about the magic of the game. And I'm not drawing a line between David Ayers and the miracle on ice. Well, it was like a mini miracle. But I, I think those those kinds of stories they 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 speak to everyone, right? If you're mm-hmm. even a casual fan, you have to be drawn in by that story of David Ayers. And and I love, you know, he's he's like an icon in Carolina. I spent some time there, as you know. And he's an icon there and he's raising money for charitable causes. And he it's it's a great story. It's a great thing. The only, you know, and I know the least don't like to be reminded of it, but it's a great story. What so before we close, what do you remember of it? Because you you know, we had Steve Wino on not too, too long ago, who's, who's written a book about emergency backup goalies. Um, what do you remember from that night and, and, and what it meant for the goalie fraternity? I remember the Toronto Maple Leafs absolutely collapsing more than anything <laughs> else. Did. Yes. Because I remember it may have even been the first shot that went in on Ayers. It did. And from there I thought, oh boy. And then they they just the, the Leafs couldn't function. It's like they're passing up shots. They're trying to be too perfect. The Canes just packed the middle and were able to win. And uh, it was 
foreshadowing for playoffs that year. It really was that the Leafs couldn't mentally handle that moment. But within the goalie union, it was like, we've got a hero. You know, every beer leaguer out there is just beside themselves wanting to try out and be an e-bug and, and do what Ayers did. And it was amazing. Like, it was really fun to, to see it. I mean, Scott Foster did it yep. very similar for the Chicago Blackhawks previously, came in and played shutout hockey for them. And it's happened. But, man, that the Leafs team just – Boy, did they shut the mill that game and they couldn't process it. Now, I the thing I did think about it, though, is it did kind of give a false sense, I think, to some like, you know, Ayers is a beer league goalie, right? I mean, he's not a great goal. To, and, and God, this is going to sound so bad, man. But I think he'd agree with me at least like, hey, I'm I did the best I could. It's yeah. just that th- was more indicative that the the Leafs just couldn't pull it off, man. Yeah. But dude, the best part of the whole thing was when Ayers walked in the locker room and the whole Carolina team's in there. And they're, I mean, I, I don't know. I can't remember what, but I think they're shaking up Pepsis and they're spraying them with waters. And Brindamore's got a huge smile on his face. Like it was so pure, Scott. True. That's and so true. surreal at the same time. Yeah. I think that's the way to, that's it. It was pure. And that's, yeah. and you know what? It would, it'll, it, it maybe it never ever happens again, and that's okay. It, but you're it right. Is. That moment, I'm glad I was watching. So. And I hope I get to like that's a that's one person I'd love to talk to, sit down and have a meal with. Like I've I've talked with Scott Foster. I've inter- we've inter- I've interviewed him. Like we, we actually communicate still. You know, talking Leafs and hockey. But like Foster played college hockey, Division One college hockey. You know, Ayers was truly a beer leaguer who hopped in the cage in an NHL game and did the Jean-Claude Van Damme in sudden death, went in, made the saves and got a win. And it may never be replicated, Scott, but it's one of the coolest moments in NHL history. True that. All right, my friend. What that was outstanding. I can't believe time passes as quickly so as it fast. does, but it, it always does every week, my friend. So, um, and great, to ha- great to have Greg on. Great uh, discussion as always. Next week we will do it again. As we will, yeah. and I suspect that we'll see different teams in the playoff hunt in the Western Conference. I can't wait. <laughs> Me either. <laughs> Every week's new. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Suitcase and the Scribe, a member of the Nation Network of podcasts, and delivered by DoorDash. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to never miss an episode. 